control. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with you every Friday morning with your favourite podcasting app or of course Friday evenings on good old fashioned traditional radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. My name is Dusty Rhodes. You're welcome to show number 901. I'm joined by our editor-in-chief as always, Niall Kitson. Um, Morning a loss, I suppose, maybe this week because, well actually, maybe that's not true because we didn't have it last year either. But the Young Scientist Exhibition it's still virtual still virtual one of my favorite shows of the year is just being being able to go down to the exhibition floor and have a wander and see things that jump out at me that just wouldn't normally if you were to read the catalog you know you'd go oh yeah okay fine 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 and then you go out and you see the young people and the passion they have for their projects and how willing they are to chat about them and you just you don't get that with the virtual experience because we go in knowing exactly kind of what you want to see sort of a thing um so i'm i'm missing it again this year uh by the time the show goes out actually they'll be on the verge of announcing the winner so unfortunately we don't have a winner to talk about Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's it's another year of missing uh, one of my highlights of the well, I, I love it because I, you can't, teenagers are incessantly annoying creatures. Um, but when you <laughs> see them coming up with kind of like really good ideas and thinking about the environment and everything, or you go, oh, 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 hang on a minute. Mm. Um, that's interesting. Like, you know, and like last year's winner, I can't remember what he did, but it, it required 150,000 lines of code. It's like, man, that's an undertaking. Like, you know. Yeah, he was um, spotting deep fakes. They, oh, yes, that's the fella. Wow. Mm. You know, kind of like people who are in their 30s or 40s or 50s going about their normal life probably wouldn't think about wanting to spot deep fakes. The older Mm. they are, they're probably less aware that they are of what a deep fake is. But kids, I mean, they're kind of growing up with this. And here's somebody who's like 15, 16 years of age and goes, "Okay, I need a way to automatically find out if that's a deep fake or not. Yeah. Uh, so I or miss even, all that. You know, we, we, we sort of observe these things. We notice these things as they become news. And we're like, gosh, you know, how is anyone going to deal with this? And you have somebody young with optimism mm. and a little bit of a spark about them. And they figure it out. Uh, and this is, this is you know, the, the absolute genius of the young scientists. So, yeah, m- missing it again. Hopefully next year we'll be able to walk the walk the show floor and have a mm. have a great report. Now another show that um, I, I'm going to say that I kind of miss. All right, uh, even though I've never been to it. All right, uh, but it usually spits out a whole load of great stories and events and crack and whatever. And that's the uh, uh, CES show over in the states. I have done CES in the past. Oh, have you? You've actually been there in the past. Yeah, yes. I, I How did big years is it? ago. It is absolutely huge. In relation to the RDS in Dublin or the, the three arena oh, or whatever. No, no comparison whatsoever. I mean, the thing happens across multiple venues um, and, you know, you could walk forever and they they have the keynote speakers so you can go off and you can, you know, learn something in different different parts of the the venues, wherever it happens to be. Uh, and of course, there's the, the show floor, which is absolutely massive. And you, you can get lost for days, you know, uh, looking at things. So this year, uh, there's always this mix of stuff that's kind of interesting. Mm. Uh, then, then there's the companies that can afford to show things that are, that are kind of interesting, but will never make it to market. Um, I think LG's uh, rising 
screen TV, the translucent one. Pretty good example. Yeah, that was three, four years ago. Yeah, it's still not yeah. on the market. <laughs> uh, still not in our homes. What story? Uh, and um, and things that are coming to market, but maybe maybe we'll never make it again. It's a celebration of ingenuity uh, with all the the usual big players there as well. Your Samsungs and your mm. LGs and your Dells. Um, so uh, you have been looking at things. So what what has stood out for you? Do you know, I think it was kind of because it was a muted event uh, this year. Last year it was completely virtual. This year they were live again, but very few people attended in mm -hmm. comparison to regular years. Um, so I kind of wasn't paying as much attention as I yeah. usually do. But there were a couple of things that came across my uh, uh, my little radar. Uh, the Dell XPX. Oh. A new XPS 13. What do you make of it? Does not have a headphone jack does not have has weird semi touch bar yeah uh, yeah and the touch bar now th they were at pains to go it's not a touch bar just because it's like a whole load of icons up at the very top and you just kind of touch them doesn't make it a touch bar <laughs> it's like mm. all right fair enough yeah i miss the function keys i like the function keys mm. yeah i've always liked them. maybe it's just because they've always been there when you take them away i'm like Ugh. um so anyway, yeah, they got rid of that. Uh, the trackpad, I think, is going to be a little bit unusual because they've kind of made it invisible, if you like. Mm. So the entire part, that front part of the laptop is all the same, is all the same. Mm. Mm. And it's just you have to know what part of it to touch in order to make the uh, uh, the trackpad work. I think that might be a little bit uh, weird. And then also they've made the keys flush with the surface of the laptop as well. So they don't kind of protrude. Mm. Yeah. Now, they still have the same amount of travel. I mean, it's ridiculous what we're talking about here, right? Mm. We're talking about one millimetre of travel. Mm. And I'm going, oh, no, they've <laughs> reduced the keyboard by one millimetre. <laughs> will we survive? I don't know. But, you know, kind of those little aesthetic things can be very... It's like kind of, you know, we're all used to, you know, kind of the Apple-type keyboards or the laptop-type keyboards. There's a lot of people who are interested in the mechanical keyboards, mm. which they go out of their way to buy. And it's a big old clunky... Uh, kind of a thing. So, uh, uh, a bit strange. Anyway, Dell XPX, uh, I love that machine um, and it's actually on my radar for a potential purchase later on this year. Oh. I'm kind of going between that or the Apple uh, MacBook Pro. Mm. I like the MacBook Pro because it's a fast processor and it runs cool, but I just don't use any software that runs on Mac OS. Mm. Okay. Well, there's a differentiator so, right there. Well, that's it. So I'm kind of looking at the Dell. I'll, I'll worry about that. The other things, anyway, very quickly that uh, kind of caught my eye at CES. Uh, I loved uh, Asus with their 17-inch folding tablet, which you can use as a laptop. Not a hope in hell of... Yeah, not a hope that you're ever going to be able to buy one of those, but it's just like a massive tablet. And then when you fold it in half, you can put a keyboard on one half and then blah, 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 and off you go and use it like a laptop. Yeah. Great or you fun. can use an external Bluetooth and, and have it with a full 17 inch screen. Yeah, there you go, Grant. Uh, I don't think it'll ever catch on. But anyways, um, the Intel I thought was interesting. They announced the latest Alder Lake uh, processors and they say that they're as fast as the Apple M1. Uh, we shall wait and see. Um, they said they put more cores into it and I think a lot of people are saying that they may have the power of the Apple M1, but it's not likely that they will have the power saving or mm. that they will have uh, uh, the less heat like the Apple M1 does. Right. So there's probably uh, the big battery issues there uh, as well, I imagine. 
another one that's never going to happen, uh, the BMW car. Did you see that? Is that the one? Uh, actually, there was a car that used e-ink. That's the very one that I'm talking about, yeah. and It's, it's very James Bond. Very James Bond. Another one that you probably will never be able to buy. But just the thought that you can do that. What a nightmare for law enforcement. Yeah, <laughs> He's getting away yeah. in a red, uh, blue, uh, black, uh, white. <laughs> yeah. Well, at the moment, it, it only changes from black to white. Yeah. But, I mean, who's to say it'll change from anything to anything else? Uh, which I think is fantastic. Knight Rider had something similar, did it? Or, or Viper or something, one of these shows. Maybe Viper. I don't think Knight Rider did. Knight Rider was always black. Hmm. Okay. The color, keep of, it on brand, the color of cool. There you go. Grant, listen, that's uh, <laughs> that's all the stuff that I noticed at CES. We have a breaking news story this week in that um, uh, all is about to change when it comes to regulation of online content, not only for the likes of Facebook and Google and so on and so forth, but also for all of the radio and television stations in the country. What are those pesky people in government up to? pesky people. Well, I mean, this week uh, the Online Safety and Media Regulation Bill was published. It now goes into a uh, consultation stage mm-hmm. with um, I think I think there's something like a panel of 90 people involved in, in reviewing it. Um, the very short version of what's going to come out of it is that we're going to see broadcast and video on demand come under the same umbrella as social media regulation. Mm-hmm. So uh, this means that bodies like the Broadcasting Association of Ireland, that basically, if you are broadcasting or delivering content in Ireland, whether it's audio, visual, posts, whatever, it's all going to come under this one body. And this one body is going to have their own regulator and a commission working within it as well. So if you have a problem with Twitter and Netflix, you don't have to file, you know, two different problems, one with a, a potential regulation, the other with, with BAI or what mm. have you. They both come under the same uh, same house. And of course, this this goes for regular TV broadcasters uh, as well. Um, odd side note, there will also be a quota for European works uh, instigated for uh, video on demand services. So at the moment, there is, uh, what, 50-50 uh, European and US content has to be on our our terrestrial broadcasters. That is going to be a 30% in favour of Europe uh, than US split. I think that's a good thing. And I think it especially will be a good thing for... It'll be harder for Ireland, but it'll be a good thing for us, okay? Because there's an awful lot of movies and TV shows and media that is shown in Europe that we don't really get. And you do get people kind of going to, you know, stuff that gets shown on Channel 4 uh, or on the All 4 app or... um, uh, Netflix, of course, uh, has a load yeah. of foreign language uh, box sets. And, and you get people going, wow, that was really good. Oh, subtitles grand followed along with it. Like, you know, so mm. I think it's a good thing. I don't think it'll be such a big thing for the European side of uh, things because they're already doing that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They're used to. Just to clarify that it's 50 50 on our TV at the moment. Mm. Uh, it'll have to be 30% on streaming services like Netflix. All right. Uh, which is fantastic because uh, you'll notice at the moment there's an awful lot of South Korean stuff uh, on Netflix, which is fine. I mean, you know, however, uh, it's not something I'm terribly interested in. Uh, I'd like to see a lot more from this part of the world. Mm-hmm. And you'll, you'll notice that the, the um, Channel 4 player uh, is very, very good. 
Yes. Uh, for particularly sort of the Scandian War shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Walter something, Walter Presents or... Uh, yeah, Walter Presents. Yeah, so it would be great, good to see more content like that up on up on Netflix, now, which is fantastic. The only cloud I can see on this horizon. Mm-hmm. Does this mean that they will regulate podcasts? That is an excellent question. I Shocker. Well, look, not mentioned by name. <laughs> uh, certainly not mentioned by name, but you can, you know that they will reach to do so. Uh, and why not? I mean, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. You probably have a different perspective. I think it would be impossible for them to try and regulate podcasts, I think, or even to regulate social media. I, I think what they'll have to do is they'll just have to put rules in place. And then if somebody complains, then they they can do something about it. I think that's the only way. Well, look, the, the point of it is whether there'll be teeth. And yeah. the commission uh, will apparently be able to implement financial sanctions up to 20 million euro or 10% of turnover. Wow. All right. Okay. That's, yeah, that's, that's pretty much teeth. All right. Unless, of course, that'll make you sit up and take notice. It certainly will. And uh, good luck to you with uh, many podcasters who are doing this kind of, you know, just for the love of it <laughs> and having mm, two cents to run yeah. together. 20 million fine or 10% of nothing. You choose. <laughs> <laughs> there we go listen that's the news for this week Not as always thank you very much Irish businesses buckle up for this total game changer you need phone and broadband to survive no argument but has anyone ever offered a real alternative in keeping you connected finally one does Airspeed and Magnet Networks have become Magnet Plus and we're ripping up the rulebook Magnet Plus combines everything from ferociously fast broadband to hyper flexible phone systems anywhere in Ireland and Magnet Plus supports you with expert help from real people 24-7. This is people-powered connectivity and it's all at magnetplus.ie This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie We have talked on the show before about how the legal profession is using artificial intelligence. So today we're going to talk to Bright Flag co-founder and CEO Ian Nolan about how one Irish company is becoming a real trailblazer in the field of legal AI. Ian, I suppose every business starts with a starts with a great idea, and Bright Flag, uh, naturally enough, has one of those in the application of AI to the legal sphere. So, where exactly did the idea come for you? Sure. So, I started. Uh, we started Bright Flag six years ago, and for the five years before that, I had been working for a software company that made software for law firms. So a small company in Ireland and the UK, uh, we built what they call case management systems, which is essentially the software that runs a small legal department. And I kind of firstly got my love for, you know, uh, for building product and growing a company in my time there. But I also gained an appreciation of, you know, how law firms worked, how lawyers worked. And, you know, we spent a lot of time trying to build software that, was was trying to enable lawyers and law firms to be more efficient in how they did the work. But we never really fully succeeded in doing that. And I guess a light bulb went off my head one day, which kind of, you know, let, let me see that the problem wasn't really the software we were building. The problem really was the systems within which the lawyers were working. It simply didn't incentivize efficiency. So when I left that company and I went to start Bright Flag with my co-founder, Alex Kelly, <clears throat> that was really the kind of the, the, the thing, the nut we were trying to crack, which was how can we help lawyers essentially do their work better, which is, 
you know, an enormous problem around the world is, you know, there's hundreds of billions of dollars spent every year on corporate legal fees. Uh, and the fact that, that that work, you know, is not done as efficiently as it could be leads to all kinds of problems in terms of access to legal services as, as it all filters down, problems for companies trying to grow. And I mean, the world is just getting more and more kind of... Uh, uh, in, 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 on one level, litigious, and another level, the kind of the overhead for corporate le- for for corporate legal departments is, uh, you know, much more regulation uh, uh, and compliance work. So it's just an enormous problem that everybody wants to solve. And uh, Alex and I came together to solve it. Me as a person that used to build product uh, for law firms and was getting frustrated at how successful it was. Uh, and Alex, as a practitioner himself, he was a uh, uh, you know an associate uh, in in one of Ireland's largest law firms at the time, and he was kind of experiencing the same problem from his from his side of the fence. So we we kind of came together with that shared passion to to change the industry. Uh, without without a real idea at the beginning of exactly how we would do it, um, um, but that's that's what we we decided to do to start a company that would do that, and that's ultimately what what became Bright Flag. I suppose you've set yourself a really interesting problem then, because you would have sort of upper management who would look at the idea and go, "Great, let's make our operation more efficient." But then when you get down to the sort of the foot soldier level, you are quite used to a, um, a professional cast that are used to outsourcing bits of their job that they might find, you know, a, a bit boring or something that would I suppose be small picture stuff compared to what they're used to doing. So you're kind of looking to introduce not just a new product but i suppose a, a cultural shift as well have you found that problem yeah to some degree yes i mean <clears throat> so what we are doing is we're building software for an ecosystem in which there are buyers and suppliers of services if you want to kind of boil it down to those um uh, uh kind of you know reductionist terms i guess uh, you have um you know law firms and the legal industry that provide legal services and then you have you know um the general public and corporations who purchase those services corporations tending to to buy you know the vast majority of all the, the legal services in the world so so you know i mean and and you have long existing relationships and ways of working that have been up to this point you know um uh uh successful and how they de- they've delivered it, it's just that there is a whole host of ways in which it could be done differently and better. And that's really what we're trying to do with Bryflag. So in terms of kind of a, a cultural or a, um, yeah, a, a cultural change that we wanted to bring about, you know, that is our, you know, we're, we're looking at a, a kind of a 10-year view of Bright Flag of how ultimately we'll get there. But the way you get there is with small steps, right? You're not going to change an entire industry overnight, and you're certainly not going to change it with a single piece of software, you know, within, within, a, within, a, within a few weeks or months. So what we really set about to do was to build software for corporate legal departments. So in other words, the companies that have the largest problem in this area, i.e. the people that spend the most money, that have the largest legal departments, the people that have the most complex legal needs, and help them essentially manage that better internally, how they manage their legal departments, and externally, how they manage the law firms that they work with. And they they buy these kind of expert expertise and expert services, like you mentioned. And, you know, we found that as the, as the, the logical entry point to make a change, which was essentially to, to work with the side of the market, which was most motivated to make a change. So, you know, our initial versions of the product were very much aimed at, um, at measuring 
costs, getting costs under control, ensuring there was kind of, you know, guardrails around how external consultants were um, engaged and how, 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 how their work was analyzed and, um, you know, managed through project managed essentially. Um, and so that was the way we kind of tackled tackled the first part which was to start with the people who were most motivated to make the change and then you know over the years and and you know uh, over the years ahead you know ultimately uh, we we intend to grow as a company and our influence to grow to such a point that we can kind of influence the more the broader the broader kind of um uh culture if, for want of a better word of, of the industry in Brightflag, you use quite a few uh, technologies that I guess we're, we're used to talking about at this stage. You know, we're looking at AI. We're also not looking at natural language processing uh, and machine learning because uh, it's it's basically invoice in, invoice is recognized for, for what it is and, and then categorized as appropriate. But you've also got this component you've called supervised machine learning. So to tell us a little bit more about that. So supervised machine learning is a, um, uh, you know, a commonly understood in kind of, you know, uh, machine learning and AI circles uh, methodology for essentially, I mean, what AI and machine learning is, it's a, it's essentially trying to, to get a, a machine to think and to make decisions the way a human would, okay? What supervised machine learning means, you essentially feed the machine a bunch of data so that it can learn over time and then begin to make better predictions in the future because it has learned in the same way that a human would. And the supervised element means that people, i.e. humans, are keeping an eye on that learning process all the time and essentially curating the training data that you're feeding the computer so it can continue to learn. So for us, what that means is we have, from day one, and we still do today, we have a human element in the technology. That is, we have um, you know young, smart legal graduates who are essentially correcting the machine when it's wrong, uh, when it makes a prediction, um, and uh, feeding that back into the loop so that the next time the machine makes the prediction, it's more accurate and it's better. And you know um, what I mean when I say predictions in the context of Bright Flag, what our software essentially does is it does a number of things to help the legal department. But one of the primary things is it reads the time entry from a lawyer. So lawyers tend to uh, track the time, you know, uh, kind of, you know, in six minute increments, and then we'll provide an invoice that might have 10 or 20 pages of the line by line breakdown. What Brightflag does is it reads those lines and it understands what the lawyer actually did and then categorizes it into a particular work stream within a particular kind of project or, or what they call a matter in, in legal circles. So essentially what our technology is doing is reading that the same way a human would, categorizing it so that you can kind of make some sense of the data uh, you know, at, at a higher at a higher level. And obviously a machine can't know how to do that unless it is taught. So when we say supervised machine learning, we have a bunch of legal experts that have you know, um, first of all, built up the kind of the, the taxonomy of all the categories of things that a lawyer might be doing in a certain context. And then secondarily, teaching the computer over time how to how to say, well, this sentence fits into this category. And it, we train that over and over and over again. And we've put, you know, we've got thousands and thousands of hours put in of this training, which essentially adds up to a very effective piece of software that can read and understand uh, legal data. And um, that's the supervised, you know, those humans are are the supervisors uh, when we use the term supervised machine learning. 
I imagine that that sort of works on a, a sliding scale as well as the more data gets into the program, the, the more efficient the system becomes, the less it actually needs to have fed into it to make more, um, uh, more effective predictions. Would that be right? Yeah. So essentially what you're doing is um, you're, you're kind of, you know, getting the, the kind of the wheel moving, greasing the wheel in the early days um, where you don't have a huge amount of data to teach to teach the machine. And then as the, the, the data builds up over time, you've got more and more. The, the, the kind of learning aspect of the software is much more um, uh, self-sufficient. So you're right in the sense that we would have had needed uh, many more hours of input in the early days than we do today where um, our software is pretty much self-sufficient. Now, we still have a large number of kind of, you know, people working on the data side and the legal analyst teams to to improve all the different ways in which we can kind of use that technology and point it at different problems across the legal department. But ultimately, what you said is correct. You know, it's a, it's a kind of a, a diminishing um, uh, amount of time that needs to be spent by humans to teach the machine. There's a point where it becomes clever or smart enough that you can set it running and maybe just kind of check in now and again to make sure it's not it's not veering off towards some kind of bias in a certain area. I suppose when talking about uh, any company, there's two journeys involved. There's the product journey, but also the the business journey as well. So tell us a little bit about the business end of your experience today, because you you have actually managed to um, secure quite a few um, significant supports over your time. Sure. Yeah. So I mean, what what Alex and I did in the very early days was. Um, I guess not atypical when you when you hear how entrepreneurs typically start. I mean, we quit our job on a Friday and we started the company on a Monday. And um, uh, you know, when you when when you do that, um, you you need supports around you to to get through that. I mean, our initial uh, we wouldn't have been able to start the company without the very early stage supports that we got way back in kind of 20, 2015 and the late stages of 2014, which were the NDRC, um, which is, um, you know, uh, uh, was enormously helpful for giving us our initial office, initial very small amount of kind of seed funding, allowing us to put together a team of three or four people, which we could work on, you know, three months of testing out and see was this idea going to work out. Uh, then you know. Then eventually, you begin to raise raise money from investors. Enterprise Ireland, of course, was uh, uh, um, an investor in the company in the early stages, and you know um, the the kind of the the investment community around around Dublin generally uh, is, is needed to get a business like this off the ground. So we've had great support from from funds like Tribal and Frontline, who are kind of local Irish based uh, venture capital funds. No, I mean it's a it's a two way street. I mean they're they're not helping you out for the good good of their uh, you know for, for, from from the goodness in their heart. They're they're investing uh, uh, for future growth within the company for which they 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 hope to see returns. And uh, you know we're um, we're very lucky that we've we've managed to kind of be be successful in 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 our six years of operation and have grown quite a bit, grown from those initial two people up to 135 people today, and been through you know a, a lot of. Um, uh, you know, a, a lot of growth and changes along that journey. But in those very earliest stages, you really are, um, you're at your most vulnerable and you, you, you need every, every piece of help that you can get, financial and otherwise. Having put together something that fits uh, sort of a, a profession, one would imagine there would be some sort of uh, overlap and applications in, in other similar, similar professions that would have, I suppose, a similar level of complexity to it. Do you see bright, bright flag being used in other fields uh, in future? 
I think our our initial invention, uh, the AI invention of of reading text and understanding it in the context of being able to categorize what part of a work stream it it fits into. Yes, conceptually, there's there's multiple ways in which we might apply that to different sectors in the future. All kinds of different professional services, you know, tax audit, um, IT consulting. There's a whole bunch of ways in which it might it might work in the future. But we are very much today focused on the legal industry, um, and you know, the legal industry is a huge, enormous problem worth hundreds of billions around the world. And you know, we can build a very large company working just in legal. So, you know, um, for our short to midterm, we don't see ourselves looking outside. Uh, the legal industry or, you know, our, our number one job right now is helping corporate legal departments and that's not going to change. What, what we will be doing is kind of doing doing other things to help corporate legal departments. So the initial problem that I kind of told you about initially that Bright Flag was initially built to do, which was to read and understand the data coming from law firms into the corporate legal department, that has broadened. So Bright Flag now really is a tool that um, you know, modern legal departments use essentially to run their entire operations, right? And that means all kinds of things uh, in addition to how they manage external counsel. It means, um, you know, how they set budgets, how they track work on matters, how they manage all their documents, how they manage their time, uh, how they, you know, begin to kind of, you know, strategically look at pricing work, um, you know, a whole a whole host of activities that, that essentially all add up to everything the law that the legal department does every day. So, you know, our focus from now on is to apply this technology to, and we already have begun doing this in other areas, such as, well, we're now setting a budget for the legal department. Uh, it was 20 million last year. Uh, we think it's going to be 25 million this year. And Brightfly can now tell us, well, in fact, you know, looking at all the data here, uh, we can predict that it's not going to be 25 million. It looks like it's going to be 35 million. So you need to have, you know, you need to go and have a chat with your CFO. So there's all kinds of other areas within the legal sphere that we're focused on helping companies with. We're already doing that today. And, you know, we've got a much, um, uh, we, you know, we we're very ambitious plans over the years ahead to bring even more. And that was Ian Nolan, the CEO of Bright Flag, chatting with Niall Kitson. That's it for our show for this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie or of course you can listen to us each week online or Fridays with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson, thanks as always for listening and have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.